How would you describe yourself? Because I could do a bio of you that would take probably the whole mile. <laughs> I am, uh, I don't know, like the immigrant story? Well, my parents being the immigrant and I'm being the production of that story. Chef Tim Ma is a culinary and community master in DC. His latest concept, Lucky Danger, is a fresh take on American Chinese food. He's one of the founding members of the national nonprofit Chefs Stopping AAPI Hate, and as you'll hear, a pretty candid guy. A lot of people look at me and they, they don't know this story, right? Like, we grew up so poor. When we moved to New York, I always like remember we lived above a dog groomer's and there were clothes there from the kid that lived there before, just happened to be my size, and that was my wardrobe for three years. We've all gone through something that's really hard, or like something that like, you know, you don't, you don't think about, and I think people, a lot of people take that for granted at this point. I'm Tommy McFly, welcome to Walk a Mile. We stepped out on the National Mall near the American History Museum because Tim's family's story is featured in an exhibit there. In my first DC restaurant, like this was back in like 2016, um, some curators from this museum, the American History Museum, came through the restaurant. And it just happened to ha uh, like my uncle during Christmas in preparation for, I guess, his passing, just because that's how morbid my family is, um, <laughs> started giving away, like literally his 80th birthday party was him just giving away stuff to everybody. He's still alive, right? He's still alive. Still at, alive. at recording of this, he will be alive and kicking for a long time. He's, he's in great shape. We went back to his home to like play Mahjong and stuff, and he brings me into this back room, and he's like, I have something for you. I um, imagine there just being like a light smoke, uh, like dim light. It was almost like that, but it was like a silk sheet that he just like ripped off this thing, and it was these five gigantic panels that each weigh like, I don't know, maybe like 40 or 50 pounds. And, you know, it's taller than me, so maybe like, you know, seven feet tall. They brought them back from China and put them in his restaurant in Yorktown Heights, like back in the 70s and 80s. In New York? In New York. He was like, I want you to have this. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. I'm about to open a restaurant. I've already designed the restaurant. It has an aesthetic, but I'll find a place for it. No problem. Was it a Chinese restaurant you were opening? It was not, No, right? it was like this fancy, like, French-Chinese restaurant. But there was really no Chinese design and aesthetics to it. So right. <laughs> There was now. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I go back to the design architects. I'm like, hey, I have to put this panel in this restaurant. This is a restaurant telling the story about, like, um, my children. So, like, I want to tell the story of this, of my family a little bit. So... Long story short, the only place that we can put it was in the wall to the bathrooms. Oh gosh, okay. <laughs> so, so that's where it ended up. Wait, what did your uncle say when you put the family heirloom on the wall on the way to the bathroom? He actually never went to that restaurant. No way! Yeah, he, he lives like an hour and a half outside of D.C., so he just never made it there. So you told him it was at the host stand, and then... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I have this perfect place for it. It's beautiful. <laughs> Everybody will see it. So the curator saw and they were like, this is fascinating. Tell us the story. I told them the story of it. And then from there, we proceeded... Um, a three and a half year process of exploring my family. They were doing a new exhibit in the Smithsonian, the food exhibit, and it was about food, family, and culture. We were the perfect specimen for that. And that's how long it takes, like three years to get in the Smithsonian. It was literally like detailing out the stories. Like they would come over for dinner. The curators would come to dinner with me and my family. It's a great gig. It's not bad for them. <laughs> they would sit around like they were part of the family yeah. and we would just tell them stories of the artifacts that we had and we just 
we did that over time. I guess the food curator is the good gig. You don't want to be the like <laughs> history of torture yeah. curator. <laughs> yeah. It's a very different experience. That's a whole different uh, market research. If you ever go into the uh, American History Museum, it's on the you go on the main level, you can go down one level to the food section. You go around Julia Child's kitchen and make a left. Yeah, it's like literally we're right behind Julia Child's kitchen. Like that's pretty amazing for us. Well, I guess first of all. Uh, Logistics. Do you want to go toward the Washington Monument? Back yeah, let's Capitol. do that. It might be more quiet over there. Okay. We can go up toward the Lincoln then. I actually, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I bike this way. Oh, cool. So I live down in Buzzard Point, but I'll bike through here because I think it's beautiful and then take the bridge over to um, Pentagon Row. So I live in Mount Vernon Triangle and I have, I'm not, I wasn't a runner, but now I'm like a pandemic runner. Right. And so I would, I've, I spent so much time down here. You during the pandemic, like, I don't know that anyone has been like winning the pandemic, but <laughs> your pop-up now brick and mortar lucky danger like crushed it what happened is that yeah we just got bored after the pandemic hit and everything shut down for somebody in an in-person restaurant uh there's nothing to do so you know we turned and we obviously um did what we could to like cook meals for those that needed them um but then like you know what do you do the rest of the day there's no dinner service so i had this concept the first time I popped it up, like back in 2014, was called Uncle Paul's Kitchen, as a note to my uncle. That's so cool. Modern takes on Chinese food. This name, Lucky Danger, where did that come from? I really only had a few requirements. One is that, like, it's very light in visual appearance. Secondly, that the verbal identity had, like, some kind of cultural significance to, like, speak about being Chinese in America. Okay. That was very important to me. How sensitive was it to not be cartoonish about it? It, it hits this, like, as a, as a white guy, yeah. right, who's German and Polish, I'm like, oh, this is so Chinese and it's cool. But you could have also been, I think, offensive maybe with it? We played with that line every meeting. We would say, is this going too far? Is this insensitive? Is this, like, respectful? And really the last requirement that I got, like, obsessed with was that um, we have a mascot. Totally. And we found one image where it was, like, a bunny rabbit, like this innocent little bunny rabbit in this Godzilla like costume <laughs> and it was just like trampling but like very innocently trampling over buildings and so i was like this i this is like this is lucky danger's identity and yeah this is it nailed it, it. Nailed it. that's it. awesome and then the name lucky danger uh we really didn't want to name it something that identified it to a person sorry paul you're out <laughs> yeah it was just like no i had the word danger that i was interested in i like that and then Really, it was just attaching another word to it. So, you know, Lucky is very prominent in a lot of, like, Chinese, like, American Chinese uh, nomenclature. And so, like, we just attached it. We're like, Lucky Danger. Okay, that works. Go. Okay. And that so, was that yeah, fast. It, it was really that fast. And then it was, like, wildly successful. Are we talking, like, you've served 100,000 dumplings? You've served oh. a million dumplings? We would sell out, like, immediate within minutes. Mm-hmm. All our food was committed for, like, every day. Your pop-up was like right in my neighborhood and I never went. <laughs> yeah. Every time I tried to go, the damn thing was sold out. Yes, we, <laughs> like, we got a lot and of- I'm not a planner. I can't be like, I want to have Chinese food three days from now. Yeah, that's not. exactly like, I would get a lot of friends that were like very sensitive to it. Be mm-hmm. like, I understand like it's popular. You know, we can't do anything about it. Then I would get a lot of people who just didn't know it and just saw it and were like, I want to get it. They're like, wait, you're telling me that I have to wake up at midnight, <laughs> order at midnight, to get food at you know 9 p.m. the next the day. Next night. I feel like if it was not pandemic, I would have been more ornery about it. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, we're being nice to restaurants now. I exactly. can't just bother Tim and tell him I need some like ketchup shrimp. We we struck a chord. That was the most polite Capital Bike person ever. He had the <laughs> bell going. He gave us a signal ahead of time. Yeah. Not his first Capital Bike ride. <laughs>
you're right. Everybody was very forgiving at the um, beginning of the pandemic. That has changed, and so we. I changed. was going to ask that. Have you seen people be less like kind to restaurants? <sighs> I'm. <laughs> um, Comma in general, hypothetically, not just Lucky Danger. I don't want to tank your uh, Google reviews. More so, it's like if you go on like Instagram or TikTok and you know you start to watch the videos, and like that happened the other day where like a guy took his Robex shake and threw it at somebody. I saw that. Yeah. And I try and think about this every time that it happens in Lucky Danger, and it does. It, it happens to everybody in the industry right now. Is what is going on in that person's life that has drawn them to the point that they want to throw a shake at somebody? Yes. I do that when I'm driving. When someone acts terrible, so yeah. I like. I don't get road rage because when I get zipped past or cut off, I just go, they must really have to poop. <laughs> when you think about it that yeah. way, it defuses the situation. Yeah. And you're I like, mean, you know what? Everyone has to poop and good for you. Hope, hope your day gets better. You gotta use that next time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that we're doing this walk between like the Washington Monument, the World War II, over to the Lincoln. Yeah. You said when we get started about you being like the American story, like the American dream, immigrant story. Yeah. How how do you look at being like a Chinese American? That next episode of your family story. It's evolved over time. We grew up like I was born in Arkansas, just me and my sister. My Chinese, my parents were Chinese immigrants. And Why did they decide Arkansas? My I've always wondered that about like immigrants who come to just like wherever they end up. Like, how did you decide that place? My uncle was a professor at the University of Arkansas. Mm -hmm. My parents actually met there. They were both students there. Oh, cool. So they came to America in that pretense to go to the University of Arkansas. And they came separately and they met there? They, they came separately. They oh, met cool. there. They're still like diehard Razorback fans. Was there a big Chinese like Chinese immigrant population at the University of Arkansas? Oh my God, no, I still have. I think I sent it to you. Um, when my parents got naturalized, they were on the front page of some paper. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. If that gives you any indication of... Right, it was a big um, story. Yeah, big story. With, you know, being born in the 70s in Arkansas, wasn't the best time to be proud of yourself being Chinese. Right. Um, sorry, I'll let this truck pass. Right. That's half the fun. You get the soundscape of trucks going by <laughs> and sirens and people screaming and yeah. capitals, bike yeah. share, bike rides. As a kid, you don't think about what you look like. You just right. think about how people treat you. And so, like, I knew that I was treated differently. I just didn't know why. We moved to New York um, to be around my grandparents before they passed. There would be periods of time, right, where I would be like, okay, like, I want to explore my Chinese heritage. Yeah. Like, there's no Chinese cooking school. Can you tell me the story about the crab rangoons? Yeah, this is a great, this is... I'll one... give you a pass on this one if you don't want to tell the story. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is one of the quintessential, like, the difference between Chinese food and American Chinese food. Mm -hmm. Or I would say, like, just the palates that um, we see in America. Crab Rangoon is a very quintessential American Chinese, American Chinese dish. It has no origin in China. It was created at a restaurant called Trader Vic's in San Francisco. It has cream cheese, imitation crab, scallion, and spices. Like, literally, that's not, it. Not from any dynasty. Yeah. The only relation to crab is that it has imitation crab. <laughs> and so, being a chef, and trying to reimagine or update American Chinese food, took the crab rangoon and was like, what can I do to make this chefy? So, How can I use my tweezers and elevate this? Like, what can I do just to like, <laughs> like raise the flavor profile? And so we inserted um, real Maryland crab. Which sounds awesome, by the way. <laughs> and um, we added just a little bit of crab roe into the sauce. And then like, that's how we started. We started selling it. And then like the complaints just started rolling in. It was like unreal. They're like, you're you're not a real chef like <laughs> like all because of your crab ring they're like technique. there's something in here that tastes weird and i was like oh my god they're talking about the crab 
the weird taste <laughs> is the crab because imitation crab has no like crab flavor in it. So right. I was like, it's cream cheese and yeah, cheese. it's 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 probably like all bits of fish or something like that. Did you have to then like make a marketing communication that's like now with more fake crab? It was amazing. It was like the messaging behind it was just like, hey guys, like we've updated our crab rangoon recipe, and literally all we did was like take out the crab and just pump more cream cheese and imitation crab, and everybody's like. These are the best crab rangoons. Like, it just started steamrolling with the crab rangoons. <laughs> and, like, the profit margin must have gone through the roof. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> right now during the pandemic, like, crab is, like, 25 bucks a pound, 40 bucks a pound sometimes. Like, okay, great. If that's what you want, no change in price. You we'll you do a Burger King. Then you let them have it their way. Yeah, and you were done. You know, it's amazing. Like, you, you always try and take the stance of, like, listen to your customers. And this is one of those times that, like, sometimes... <laughs> You're not right. Crab rangoon should not have crab in it. You're right, because that's American. So as you're thinking about, like, Chinese heritage and with the Olympics being in Beijing, mm -hmm. is it a mixed-feeling kind of thing? And I'm not asking you to speak for, like, all Chinese Americans. Yeah. What, what do you feel about, about that kind of dialogue? Well, okay, so, like, personally, there's something interesting about it because me and my sister and a lot of American-born Chinese don't identify with Americans because of the way we look, you know, the culture stuff. Like, I used to get made fun of because I smell like fresh garlic all the time. <laughs> but that's just, the, you know, that was our cuisine. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> There's the opposite. That's jerks. <laughs> There's the opposite side where we also don't identify with Chinese very well. I've had many interesting experiences where Chinese people will not communicate with me or give me any level of respect because they know I'm an American-born Chinese. Wow. You know, I don't speak the language. I don't. I didn't know much about the food. I still am exploring it as I go. I don't know much about the culture. And so, like, we get split. Kind of a catch-22, too, right? Where you're like, I need to be, but I can't be, but I have to be. Yeah. During the pandemic, like, the um, anti-Asian sentiment was very strong. It was, yes. And what you did with your other fellow chefs yeah. to stop AAPI hate, it seemed Herculean, but was it just like the right thing to do? You know, it was, it was just kind of one of those natural things, just division within the country, right? So, and then... I've heard. <laughs> you know, still exists. And then seeing the videos, I, I watched the videos, I was like, okay, that, that looks like my mom, right. right? Or that looks like my uncle. You know, just a couple of chefs got together and was like, let's do something. What we're good at is raising money, and we can give that money to people who are good at... Um, doing something about it. It was one of those things that like we started it. So bare bones, you, yeah. who, who is we and what was the first oh, yeah. thing you decided to do? It was me, Kevin Tian, Eric Brenner-Yang, Peter Chang, and Juan Tang, all chefs here in DC Maryland. Which is like the Avengers of Asian chefs. It was also, you know, I mean, I was just like, you know, I don't care. I just want to go and say hi to them because yeah. I had, you know, I hadn't seen all of those chefs in a long time. Plus I was like, God, like these guys are like so talented. We're all going to do a to-go meal together. Was that over like text literally it was just like do you see that uh stuff uh, i don't know if i can curse it's a podcast yeah. okay <laughs> do you, did you, you see, see that bullshit yeah, yeah did, did you, exactly you can say. Did you see that shit it's like yeah it's like what are we gonna do and literally like a week later we were going what was that response did you do a hundred meals was it a bajillion meals it was it was like lucky danger again where it was just like like it sold out so quickly yeah people were like okay i want to i want to sign up for the next one we're like okay here's the next, we're one. Doing the next one <laughs> so, literally i think kevin just like opened up a opened up another slot for the next week and i was like we'll figure it out because as we were all watching like bridgerton you were like saving america and saving like asian people <laughs> while we were watching bridgerton we were planning <laughs> how to help america so. <laughs> like tiger king was happening in my house as you were like making true social change for people uh.
And I hope you can hear the helicopters that just go by here too. Like it's so neat to be that, on the mall by the reflecting pool. That's not, no, that's not Biden. That's yeah, more of a yeah. military one. Yeah. But if you've never been to the National Mall or the reflecting pool, you just like, the helicopter traffic here is wild. I love it. Like I'm obsessed with helicopters. I'm the same way. It's yeah. so much fun to watch them. You don't see it other than like here, yeah. um, which is great because you see all kinds of interesting aircraft. We got to finish the oh, conversation, yeah, but I consider myself to be a pretty smart human being. Yeah. I do not understand how helicopters work. <laughs> like, I'm glad somebody does, right? But yeah. like that propeller, and then there's one in the back. Like, I don't understand how like lift yeah. and rudders. I don't get it. But I'm I'm like so mystified by them. Yes, it's a whole nother force. So we're walking past the front of the Lincoln. Just like the reflecting pool's kind of frozen, which is cool. I think we've got more than a mile, just so we know. Good, I didn't. <laughs> I know we need to get the walk in. Totally. I had your crab rangoons. I gotta get my steps in. And then it just it started getting bigger, where it was like the CEO of OpenTable, which is a large, um, like, billion-dollar, like, system, reservation system within food and beverage, reached out through the webpage. Just like, like the general email that's like, I want to get involved? How do we help you? It would have been so easy for people to be like, you know, go get them. Yeah, yeah. Have at it. I'm, I'm with you. you like know. and share. That was what was really the heartwarming thing was that, like, we had so many chefs from every different culture reaching out and be like you know i'm not asian american does that matter it's like no it doesn't matter because like you probably suffered some kind of plight that similar to what we're dealing with at some point yeah and so it's like this is our moment and when your moment happens like we'd love to be there to help you why do you think that food is just such a great vehicle for change there's a there's a spirit and there's just a there's like a mojo to restaurant people there's a certain grit yeah. That um, all service industry people have. And rather. like an outspoken, like, hell no, not in my townness to restaurant people too. Yeah, where it's like, you know, it'll, it'll be all like hard-nosed competition. Mm -hmm. And then when you try and like mess with the collective, then the collective gets together and be like, <laughs> I know I just, you know, called you an asshole last week. But like, come on, asshole, let's do this together. And like, let's go fight this other asshole. Um, so <laughs> I think you just described diplomacy. <laughs> That's how <laughs> yes. you should be Secretary of State someday. Yes. Like, I, I know we're at war now, but like later on we'll be friends and then we'll go to war again when we have, when we don't want to be friends again. Sometimes, uh, you know, we don't think as much as we should before we act, but like, <laughs> but part of your charm though. In this manner, that was the beautiful thing about it. Like yeah. for Chef Stopping API hate nonprofit was if we sat back and started to think about it, it would have been gone. I'm a huge fan of ready, fire, aim. <laughs> Back to the actual first part of your question as a... Uh, um, I'm glad you remembered it because I didn't. Well, <laughs> I'm enjoying this conversation. <laughs> I mean, this is what I was saying the other day. It's like, you asked the right questions and like, <laughs> intentional or not, like, it, it's, it's so like, provoking. Um, I think food is an important piece because it is typically somebody else's introduction into somebody else's culture. Totally. People learn about Chinese culture and their first introduction is typically through food. But I loved too when we saw in the museum like your uncle had those dine and teach. Dine and learn. Dine and learn yeah. moments where in the 70s and 80s he was teaching Chinese culture and mm -hmm. feeding Chinese food. Like what a great way to experience it. What was the result of the first year of Stop AAPI Hate? And I know you're bringing it back again in May. Yeah. Like, what does the future look like? So, I guess, give me the recap. Yeah, what did you so, tell American Express? How'd it go? Oh my. <laughs> so, we got to the end of May and all of us were just, we just like laid out and we're just exhausted. There was no celebration. There was nothing. It was just like, hey, look, like we've, we've raised a significant amount of money. 
And it was kind of one of those moments where it's just like, hey, we want to take a breather. And we took like this long breather because we were just like so exhausted. I mean, it was probably 30 days of just nonstop yeah, like craziness. But now, like, you know, we've actually hired an executive director who was actually helping us last year. So it's like an organization organization now, like paperwork yeah, has been filed. Yeah. And I mean, we, we have uh, a great law firm that's pro bono doing all our stuff. You got a us. lawyer and a bank account. I nice mean, work. You I guys mean, are that's real. real. I mean, that's, that's a thing. We were like, OK, we're done, right? Like, this is it. We don't have to file anything else. But they're like, no, you have to actually, you know, tell the government you're going to be a nonprofit mm -hmm. literally at this moment like trying to plan up for May again just because you have to be innovative you have to be scrappy to think of a way mm -hmm. to return the attention back to the cause and get that same response so that's what we're focusing on now I would think you have I've been blessed I've been able to work with a lot of great nonprofits and things through the years and the hardest thing is like you do a walk everyone had a great moment and then you're like how do you get reignited for the walk yeah. but you've got delicious food that people remember that food and I feel like it's going to be not easier because I, I mean any nonprofit is not an easy job yeah. but I feel like you got the flavor on your side so that's at least something that a lot of nonprofits don't have I think you should be on our board of directors and remind everybody <laughs> that it's like naturally people like will come to us because guess what like we we have a cause but we can also cook for you I hope we get that same enthusiasm and we'll see if um if the chefs have that kind of time we're in a different time that's true this isn't 2021 this this mm. is like everybody's either on the verge of like reopening or closing at this point, right? Wow. There's there's a lot of restaurants that might close now. So, um, which is very hard for people. So it's like, we never want people to extend outside their means. Is the restaurant world kind of more dire now because the spotlight's not there? Yeah, it's really hard. And I think what we talked about earlier is like, you know, I think the, uh, the sympathy um, kind of string that was yeah, being pulled yeah. has been like, you know, that disappeared. You know, we just don't know what to do anymore. This is all unprecedented. So mm -hmm. just like what we said earlier, it was like, you know, maybe that guy has to poop and that's the way we have to think about it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Once you look at life like that, you're going to hate so many less people. Yes. You're just going to be like, you know what? Good for you. Yeah. Best so, of luck. Like well, let's talk about like chefs and, and, and just the way the food world is changing. You have a classically trained chef background. You're yes. at a high-end restaurant. You're now doing this really funky, really cool and, and really good, like fast casual. Yeah. Um, Victor Albisu mm -hmm. has had fine dining restaurants. Now he's crushing it with Taco Bamba. You've got Chef Scott Trinnell and Chef Danny Lee. Yeah. You know, they've got restaurants still too, but they've got Chico, which is this like super fun concept. Right. And I feel like chefs of your caliber, had you told you 10 years ago you'd be doing this, you would have laughed me out of the place. I mean, I think about that to this day where uh, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who was like, oh, like wanted me to open a fine dining restaurant. I was like, why would I do that anymore? Like, look at like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I run a takeout, you know, and I found you know, exactly the crab ring is a perfect example yeah. where it's like, you're not a chef anymore. You're running a takeout and you need to understand that. But um, I think you bring chef quality things. I think Scott and Danny and, and Victor do this too. You bring like a know-how and like a technique too fast casual because you're not a corner Chinese takeout you're not a Taco Bell yeah. you know what I mean like you the way you the chefs who are well trained I'm not sure if I'm explaining this correctly no I get it you're bringing this not to use the word mojo twice in the same podcast but you're bringing <laughs> this like mojo to, to fast casual which I think is something that could upend the, that entire industry you have like great insight into it because I, I think what you're alluding to is just like the perspective on food yes as opposed to 
the business itself. The person who figures that out is going to improve fast food, like not just financially, but also just like the food itself, mm -hmm. right? Like we live in a world that like this is unsustainable. Yeah. Are you seeing you finding your people in the battles of like you versus just generic restaurant? Or I would imagine like and pizza versus Papa John's or Victor versus Taco Bell, you know, those kind of things. People want, I guess, their brands to have an opinion and a voice and a feel. I, I think it's important these days, and that's why people are drawn to like these kind of brands. And, and you even see some companies now have a like a social impact direction. Mm -hmm. I think what's going to be the inflection point is when one of these organizations gets to that scale. You'll find a different set of problems or a different set of restrictions that um, that is why those companies that large have to do a different way. But maybe like wow. be able to influence them in a certain way that like there's a middle ground. That's some Tarantino stuff. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> this is why I shouldn't uh, have so much free time in the Chinese takeout where I'm just like bagging up food. I'm just like, oh, these are the big things that I want to think about while I'm like preparing somebody's General Tso's chicken. Or what like, happens when I become the Jeff Bezos yeah. of spring rolls? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like you could see a lucky danger in every town in America. I, I of, of course, I would love... You like, could see that, that too, I guess. Yeah, like, like that kind of like influence over mm -hmm. the conversation around food in America and that like that kind of whatever you want want to call it like legacy or um, just like your footprint mm -hmm. um, like I would love that it's it's a tough thing because yeah Chinese American restaurants are like really like going out there's a lot of them just like kind of going out of business but mm -hmm. is it because people aren't identifying with it anymore or or with like those old school ones or is it like other people coming in and pushing them out so the last thing I want to do right. is push them out. And somebody brought up a good point to me is that most Chinese American restaurants, as we know it on the corner, like your corner Chinese American restaurant that has, you know, the Chinese family working in it. Most of those immigrants in those restaurants, including my parents, including my uncle, worked very hard to have their children go to college. That was their American dream. That was literally their American dream. It was like, go to get my kids a college education and live a better life in America than we could in China. I just kind of got the chills about that. You're exactly right. And so that is why Chinese American restaurants are dying is because typically passed down to the next generation. Right. The next, including myself, like my, my mom was like, don't you dare open a restaurant. And so they sent me to college, you know, I became an engineer and they're like, got it. Our American dream is complete. Yeah. And so there's nobody to carry on the restaurant legacy. Wow. How do we play a role in that in, you know, taking what they accomplished with Chinese restaurants in America and continue that legacy because they're not going to be able to. Exactly. Right? Um, and so I think that's a tough thing that I think about is like, okay, like, shoot, are we helping or are we hurting right now? So it's like, make sure that what we're doing is going to help somehow. That's it's a whole side of the, of the conversation of like, even any like ethnic restaurants closing, yeah. right? Because they came here, that was the restaurant and the food and the culture was their vehicle to have a better life. Mm -hmm. They've done that. And so almost now, like, thank you. Right. And next on to the next thing. My parents pushed me so hard to be American. Yeah. They spoke English to us. They gave us hot dogs, pizza, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And then I grew up and I was like, I don't know, I can't speak Chinese, I don't know shit about Chinese culture, blah, blah, blah. They're like, what's wrong with you? I was like, you <laughs> wanted this. This is like, we completed what you set out to do. I so, love that you're wearing the uh, DC Central Kitchen hat. A nonprofit that I've obviously um, felt a lot of closeness to and wanted to support for a long time, which I have. It's such a good mission for a lot of things, but like rehabilitating those that got lost through the power of food 
Yep. In relation to what we're doing, right? Like making people aware of like anti-Asian hate mm-hmm. through food. How do you keep your team happy? When I saw you in your <laughs> restaurant, they seemed happy at least. But but also like your your team in this kitchen at Lucky Danger worked like a band. Everyone was on playing the same song and it just kept happening and it was awesome to see. It's literally just showing up and it's not because I need to come in there. I don't come in there and like get out of the way. I'm on the walk. I'm going to cook everything, blah, blah, blah. I come in there to say, okay, you're doing your job on the walk. You're doing everything that you need to do. What can I do to help you? Is it, can I go get you lunch? Can oh, wow. I, can I get like an eight pack of Gatorade for the team? Like, what can I do that will make you happy in what you're doing that, um, that I don't need to do? At first they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so literally like Is this your question? Yeah, one day I was just like, Hey, like, you know, what's wrong? And he's just like, I keep getting parking tickets. I was like, Okay, so we just went and get him a, a parking pass right. for the day and like those small things is is you know, what they need. Of course, you know, they need the financial part of it. It's totally. like, okay, take care of everybody financially to the means that you can. I have another corporate guy that helps me out and he does that too on the days I'm not there. He'll just go in and we'll just work from there. Um, and like, we'll pop up every once in a while and we'll like pack some rice for them or whatever. And then like, you know, they're just like, you know, you can leave. And we're like, oh no, I'm like, I'm perfectly happy here. It's like, I know we want you to leave. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other thing we do is like, we try to take all the bad news and give them all the good. And like, I'll just show them on the phone and be like, oh, these are all the like really good reviews we got today. Like, oh, I bet that means the world. Yeah. And they're like, they feel like, you know, that what they're doing is making somebody happy, which is the reason that I got into restaurants. Little stuff like that and it's like uh, almost to a level of like humanizing because sometimes like I remember when I had like a hundred employees. I used to be a screamy shouty chef too. Really? Everybody else. Everybody has those moments where they, you know, they blame outwardly. But like, again, that's what I'm talking about. Like this is the twilight. (laughs) The twilight. You you become a lot calmer in the twilight period of your career. Management with Tim Ma. It's not that difficult. You're amazing. (laughs) You're incredible. Thanks for walking a mile with us. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. More than a mile. If you heard it and you're hungry, be sure to check out Lucky Danger in National Landing, Pentagon Row in Virginia. If you like our podcast, please share it. I mean, literally grab the link and text it to some friends. That is actually the best way to spread a podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you would just, you know, send it to a couple hundred of your closest friends. And of course... Also, subscribe and follow. We've got a bunch of equally awesome and very different guests on the way. Maybe you missed Senator Mark Warner of Virginia. He was our first walk a mile. And next, we're going to talk to the first woman and the first African-American to run one of the largest institutions in the United States government. She was confirmed by the Senate, and she is only the 14th person to hold her position. We'll walk that mile next. Big thanks to the incredible women who helped make Walk a Mile possible. Patricia Anderson, Bergeen Joyce, Vea Valesco, and Christine Kaludis Jimenez. Walk a Mile with Tommy McFly is produced by Real Fun Content.